Hello, and welcome to Change the Conversation, a podcast from Dara & Co, featuring frank conversations and fresh perspectives that can help you to connect, communicate, and grow. I'm your host, Elaine Burke, the Editor-in-Chief of Dara & Co, and I'm here today with Grace Alice O'Shea, a sex and intimacy specialist and author. Uh, it's great to have you here, Grace. Uh, Grace Alice, I should say. Sorry. That's okay. Grace is fine. Um, yeah. How does one become a sex and intimacy specialist? Like, what was the career path that led you here? Yeah, I get this question a lot because, you know, as a 17, 18 year old, people probably aren't thinking, oh, I want to be a sex coach. You know, imagine saying that to your parents or your teachers. Um, it was kind of a roundabout path. So I started off in healthcare. I did an undergrad in occupational therapy. Straight away, I went into a master's in health promotion. And that's where uh, I kind of found out about sex education in Ireland because I didn't get any in school. So I did a placement in the master's and the placement involved going to schools and delivering a sex education program. And I was just like, I cannot believe this is a thing. I can't believe it's happening. I was just so happy to see that it was being offered to young people. So I kind of just fell in love with it. So it was accidental like that I found myself in it and I've been doing it ever since. So that's nearly eight years. Um, so that's kind of the me being a sex educator. And then I suppose when I added the coach bit on, I, I did a course um, to do like relationships and kind of couples coaching and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that's how I fell into it. And mm -hmm. how has that been different? So like you started out kind of in the uh, kind of education of younger people. Yes. And now you're working with older people, probably yeah. being more specific about what's going on in their relationships and yeah. even more intimate details and yeah. things like that. Are they harder to deal with than the kids? Yes, yeah. generally, I'm yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, because when you're going into a classroom, I could do it nearly in my sleep at this point in the sense that, yes, I do have to keep on top of the trends and what's going on and what young people are saying. But you're talking to a group of, say, 30 young people. So you're not taking specific issues in their life and, you know, dissecting it. It's it's giving more of a general, you know, education, which I love. But then, you know, I did want to get a bit deeper into it. So when I have adults, like an adult client or a couple, it's it's literally about them and their specific circumstances and experiences in their life. So I suppose it, it's just different. It, it's it's a different kind of energy you use in each role. But yeah. I like that. I like having the different roles within my job. Do you know, I like doing things like this, like podcasts, stuff in the media, then doing a bit with young people, but also working in that kind of more intimate way, I suppose, with, with someone one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And I suppose it's, you're kind of seeing both sides of it because with the work that you're doing with younger people, you're plugging a gap that has been yeah. existing in sex education for a really long yeah. time. So hopefully that generation turns into adults who are a little bit healthier about these conversations, yeah. but you're also dealing with the adults who never got that education yes. and have grown up and become adults yeah. and gone through maybe decades of a relationship without ever really reckoning with this, these things, yeah. the, this aspect of their life. Oh, definitely. Like the difference sex education makes, it's huge. And there is lots of research on it, but there's still a lot more to be done, I think. You know, if you aren't told anything, like, you know, I really wasn't. I We learned about, I think, periods, which fine. Uh, we learned about the basics of how babies are made. You don't really need to know how babies are, like you already know at 17 how babies are made. You're not usually trying to have babies at 17, right? So your questions are going to be around consent, around pleasure, like is sex supposed to hurt? How do I ask someone, do they want to have sex? These are all the questions they have. So as you said, it's plugging a gap. It's having those conversations that some parents are just going to struggle with. 
and um, that the young people mightn't feel, you know, comfortable as well bringing it up. So when myself or one of my educators go in, we're just kind of, we mean nothing to them in the sense we'll never see them again, probably. Mm. So they feel comfortable to ask questions, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just so important. Like it really, really is. And I see the effect into adulthood when someone hasn't had sex education or has had really negative ideas around sex. Like it doesn't just go away. It it really can set in quite deep and it can cause issues in their relationships for years. And you've done a great masterclass with Dara and Co yes. on yeah. this whole idea of being able to talk about sex and have yeah. conversations about sex. And tied to that is there is this um, hesitance around some of the mm-hmm. language. Like mm-hmm. it's not even the language we use, it's the language we don't use mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. many, many ways. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but mm-hmm. people are just a bit mm-hmm. nervous about saying the words, like whatever they are, like referring to your body parts by their actual names instead of some euphemisms and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. How much of that is like something that people probably need to consider getting over or, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're comfortable enough using euphemisms, Mm -hmm. is that still like a safe space for them to to move forward in? What would you suggest there? I suppose I would suggest people looking at why they choose to ser- to use certain language, sorry. So why they choose to use certain words over the correct words. Like, you know, when it comes to body parts and like I do go into this a bit in the masterclass, you know, we've so many code names and pet names for our genitals and I get genitals isn't a sexy word. We're probably not going to use the word genitals during sex. You know, we're probably not going to use the word penis during sex. And that's fine. That's a different context. But, you know, if you if even the thought of saying the word, say vulva, like makes you shrivel up. Okay. There's something there. There's some element of shame around this word and maybe even about the body part itself, you know? Um, so I really would just look at kind of leaning into that and God, why am I so uncomfortable with that? Can I get more comfortable? And again, you don't actually have to use the word then if you don't want to, but I just, I think it's a nice little experiment to do of like, God, why am I so, you know, weird about this word? And it's even like, you know, we see in school, I don't know, in my school anyway, there were like penises and testicles drawn everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> you never see a vulva drawn somewhere. It's almost seen as, oh my God. So, you know, there's even gendered stuff within that of how we think and talk about our bodies. Um, but yeah, look, each person needs to use the language they're most comfortable with. But it's just a bit, you know, when I hear like, like grown women talking about like their hoo-ha and they're this, I'm like, just it's your vagina or it's your vulva yeah. or like, you know, even just to be able to say that to a medical professional, yeah. oh, I have a pain here, I have a lump here and actually know what part it is rather than just this general kind Down of. Down there yeah, area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no like, specific. Yeah. And it's amazing because. And I mean, all bodies are amazing, but the more we're learning even about like the female body or bodies of people assigned female at birth, like the vulva, the clitoris, all of that, like research is still evolving on this part of the body. And it's fascinating. Like there's so much we still don't know. So I'm like, it does it such a disservice to not even be able to say the name. You know, and not to know what different parts are. I have women that I work at one to one women in my courses who have literally birthed children and wouldn't and they admit to themselves, they wouldn't be able to label like the different parts of their vulva. And that's not to shame them. That's that things are that way for a reason. But it's like that's a good place to start, like start with your own body. 
Yeah. You know, and think about what you're not talking about, why you're not talking about it, yeah. what that says about maybe the hangups that you have and things like yeah. that. Another yeah. point you made about language that I found really illuminating was about the word foreplay mm. kind of being a misnomer. And if you actually contextualize it always as foreplay, well, then you always think of it as well, it has to happen first and yeah. foremost, but maybe that could actually be all that you do, mm. or it could be something that you do during, after, whenever. Like, and I just thought, like, Words really matter they in do. this case. They yeah. really do. Yeah. And it's back to how we learn about sex. And, you know, often the way we learn about sex, either through films or books or whatever, it's very heteronormative. It's usually a sister and a man, sister and a woman. Again, like there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we're seeing and we're seeing, okay, sex equals penetration. You know, I still get asked that in school. Oh, you know, am I still a virgin if I use a tampon? You know, and it's like, Nothing changes. Like, no, there's no huge physical change when penetration happens. It's more of a social idea. Um, and I myself, and this contributed to me working in this area, I had a condition called vaginismus for years. So I actually couldn't have penetrative sex until I was about, I think I was 21 or two when I first had it. So all the sex I had been having up to then was foreplay, technically, if, if we're going to use that term, oral sex, touching. And that sex was no less full than penetration. You know, that was intimate. That was sex, you know, it, but when it's labeled foreplay, it's like, oh, it's, it's the lead up. It's just something you do to get to penetration. Whereas for a lot of people, actually, some of the most pleasurable parts of sex is the oral sex or the touching or the things that come before penetration. And you can see why that confusion exists then. Yeah. Like why, like we laugh when that question is asked mm. of, oh, if I use the tampon, is that penetrative sex? But it's because like if all of your context for sex is all around penetration, then yeah. of course you're going to make that mistake and, yeah. and be curious about that, um, you know, being significant in that kind of way. Mm. It's just, uh, it's just such a fascinating area. And uh, like, it's a really rewarding, rewarding masterclass to check into. Mm -hmm. And you also explained that you, because of this, have kind of come up with your own definition mm. of sex and you kind of encourage everyone to come up with their own definition mm -hmm. of sex. And I think that's such a great approach because like you said, like what you enjoy could be any of the many aspects mm -hmm. of it. And I do feel like if we all had maybe a more uh, fluid definition of it, Consent could also be uh, catered to better yeah. as well, because there's probably some people who think, well, it's only actual mm. uh, penetrative sex that I have to ask for consent yeah. for, but you should probably be asking for consent for all sexual acts. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it, it should go without saying that sex must involve consent, but unfortunately we do have to actually clarify that, you know, sex is a consensual act, you know, and it's it involves two people being happy with whatever is happening. No, I'd agree. I think if we're a bit more open about what sex can look like and sound like, then I think we'd be a lot less harsh in ourselves about the sex that we're having or want to have or don't want to have. You know, another thing I get asked a lot is, you know, what, what is gay sex? What happens during gay sex? I'm like, it just sounds so, you know, it, that's up to those two people. You know, there's maybe a stereotype, say all gay men have anal sex. That's not true. I know gay men who don't enjoy anal yeah. sex. So Again, the penetration is at yeah. the heart of and that And then there again. might be heterosexual men who, men who enjoy enjoys, pegging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Who likes their prostate stimulated, all of that. So yeah, look, there's there's so much. And again, this is what the masterclass is all about. It's unlearning. It's deconstructing. It's like, what have I learned that is not helpful to me? Because it's up to you. You can you can challenge those. You can, as I said, come up with your own definition. You know, we're in charge of our own sex lives at the end of the day. You know, you shouldn't be just shaping it in a way that you think it, it should look you know and speaking of miseducations mm. in this area and um, because there is that gap 
for a lot of us who grew up without a proper sex education, mm. your default to learn about these things is probably TV and film. Yeah. Um, or even pornography. But like, mm. I mean, there is sex on TV and film. You don't have to stray yeah. into the world of pornography yeah, to even yeah, see yeah. sex. But uh, do you ever get the feeling that writers of TV and film have uh, actually had sex or yeah. even understand <laughs> the depth and breadth of sexual behavior? Because it is bizarre how trite it is. It's the same in most scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> it's... I know and you're watching it and you're like okay they were kissing 10 seconds ago and now they're okay now they're having sex and it's all kind of implied you know in films yeah. generally unless okay some films have more explicit sex but generally it's it's implied and then they're both orgasming at the same time of course and yeah, every time yeah in films, um, <laughs> and it's like okay well we know that only about is it 15 or in and around 20 percent of women can have an orgasm just from penetration but that's not seen you know, again, not that it's, we don't need to see pornography in every film, but it's like, it's not even implied at times. And it's, look, that's fine to the degree of if you have a romantic film or a rom-com and that's the vibe you're going for. But when it's all you're seeing, that's my issue. Like if we had better sex education in schools, you know, if, if parents, you know, if there were more resources and training for parents, et cetera, then we wouldn't be looking so much to entertainment to learn about it. So one half of me is like, yes, like writers and the media, like they all have to do a bit better, to be honest, because it's a bit lazy at times. And it's very much the male gaze at times as well. But then the other half of me is like, but is that their responsibility? You know, they're actually there to entertain, not to educate. So it's hard. No, that's a fair point. But I do wonder as well, is the fact that they kind of take these lazy approaches, these default Mm -hmm. tropes, Mm -hmm. is that also do with the hang-ups aspect. It's like yeah. the, they're probably also not comfortable talking about sex more intimately or describing mm. maybe a scenario that was real to them that could yeah. apply to this moment, but that would reveal something about them in the writer's room and they yeah. maybe don't want to bring that up. So maybe we're not getting real stories in TV and film because people aren't that comfortable sharing real stories quite openly. Mm. Maybe that could be an issue. That's just yeah. a theory that no, I'm not going to put in my head. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is tiresome, the whole idea of if they are depicting that... Um, people don't orgasm at the same time. It's usually depicted as a problem yeah. when actually that's, you know, that's a very, very common scenario Why for a lot of people. Orgasm at the t- same time. It's just, again, this is coming from this idea of sex as this almost performance and okay, you start kissing and then it should lead up. The, the end goal is simultaneous orgasm. I'm like, why? You know, when I talk in the master class about just take orgasm off the table as well for a bit, because I mean, orgasms are amazing, but if you're literally just focused on getting to this end goal, you're missing out on so much intimate moments there and pleasure. And again, we don't really see a lot of that on screen. Now, there are some, it's definitely changing because even shows like Sex Education and, mm. you know, we've Normal People and um, there's other ones as well that they're just you can tell that there's a lot more research going on. There's a lot more diversity in the writer's room, I imagine, as well. Yeah. So we're getting different. I mean, sex education is great for it. They show so many different identities, different ways people have sex, different like bodies. Yeah, I must look into it actually because I I get the sense that they have a much younger writer's room and they probably have grown Mm -hmm. up. Mm-hmm. with just better sex education and yeah. that freedom is is kind of being reflected in the media that they're yeah. creating which is such a great mm-hmm. thing to see oh yeah like, I mean one of my personal 
bugbears is this notion across all TV and film that men, men are literally incapable of refusing sex. Like it's, it know. just d- diminishes them so much. But I just does. feel like it does them a disservice. It's quite insulting. It's dehumanizing. It yeah. actually is. And this idea that, again, men are always chasing it. And as a woman, you have to be careful whether you give it away. And this idea of, you know, when you give it away, does your self-worth depreciate then? And, you know, I'm sure, I don't know, did you grow up as well kind of in the 90s with all the rom-coms and stuff? And like, it was always just those lazy tropes of like, the guy and, you know, he he was charming and he'll come along and sweep her off her feet and then it's okay for her to have sex, right? Because there's this romance happening and it's just, again, that's fine for a certain section of films. But when it's all we're seeing, it's really like unhelpful on both sides for men and women. Because then you have men who are like, like, I want something deeper than sex. I actually don't want casual sex all the time. And then women who are like, I want casual sex yeah. and I don't want that to reflect on my value as a partner. So yeah, yeah we're, yeah, we're we, getting there. We did get like a factory production line of that specific storyline over, over. over and over again yeah, in the yeah, 90s yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I definitely want to talk a bit more about that, that idea that your sexual appetite and your sexual desires are not static. No, they will evolve mm. over time and also may evolve independent of the phase of the relationship you're in. Yeah. Because I imagine like it's very common for people to talk about things like a honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you're in a long term relation, maybe things become relationship, maybe things become mm-hmm. a bit more stabilized and uh, you're just in a different type of intimate relationship mm-hmm. then. But that's very kind of linear. Mm-hmm. But I'd imagine, especially in very long term relationships, there's lots of ups and downs in Loads. that as well. And yeah. that like your sexual appetites and desires aren't actually even going to be governed by the phase in a relationship no. you are. You might be in a 30 year relationships and suddenly your, your sex drive just goes up for a yeah. year at a time. Yeah. And, yeah. and you just need to kind of communicate that with your partner, I suppose. Yeah. And that's again, the communication over and over. And I'm always blue in the face saying it, but like it really is, it really is the most important thing anyone can learn about sex is to learn to communicate about it. And it's hard. Like it's not easy. It can feel awkward. Like I'm literally a specialist and sometimes I get awkward when I have to bring up something about sex, good or bad. It's so ingrained. Like it's so ingrained in us. So, you know, anyone listening, take heart that like I talk about this stuff all day and sometimes I feel awkward. But just because you feel awkward doesn't mean it's not worth having the conversation. Like it's still, maybe that makes it even more important to have because there's obviously some feelings of discomfort there. Um, Like the, the beginning of a relationship with the honeymoon phase and the like, you know, we want to have sex all the time and every position and every room, all of that. Like that's wonderful, but it's very much again put on this pedestal of that's, you know, that, that's kind of almost the best it's ever going to be. And I sometimes have couples coming to me or individuals who are like, I want it to go back to the way it was. I'm like, it probably won't. And that's fine. Like stop looking backwards and start looking forwards. Because if we're trying to get back to where we are, that's really hard because your relationship is growing. You know, at the beginning, you're a novelty, you're, you're discovering each other. But there's still more to discover as you're in a relationship, as you said, for years and years. So it's just your, you have to change your mindset and approach to it. Don't try and be like, I want it to be like the honeymoon phase. Does it need to be like that? Can it be a whole new phase? You know, we see more and more people now, they're actually reporting that they're having better sex later in their relationship because it's not just simply about seeing them and, oh, they're gorgeous and I'm in love with them and I want to have sex with them. There's more communication happening about even deeper desires or things they want to try or whatnot. So it's the honeymoon phase. It's just literally step one. It's just phase one. And it's great, but 
don't, you know, don't make it the be all end all because it is temporary. Yeah. Mm. And it's obviously your masterclass tackled that whole notion of being able to communicate and, mm. and kind of bridging that or getting over that barrier. And it is something that I, I believe everyone's pretty much aware of. That yeah. People do have difficulty talking yeah. about sex, even with their intimate partners. Mm. I don't think that'd be a surprise to people, but there maybe is a little bit less coverage on being receptive as, oh, as yeah. being the other side mm-hmm, of the, not mm-hmm. being the communicator, but the one yeah. who's receiving that feedback mm-hmm. and maybe understanding then that your partner isn't saying that, you know, they've changed completely and they're a different person. It's just yeah. this is what happens in life. Mm-hmm. People can change over time and mm-hmm. they still want to be with you and have, you know, pleasure with you. That's yeah. a good thing yes. if they're bringing that up. Yeah, you, exactly. So to be receptive, really. Yeah. And it's so obviously easy and natural for people to get defensive. And that's why I try and encourage couples to build in communication practices, like intentional practices into their relationship so that they're not just suddenly after five years having this big sit down talk of like, look, I'm not enjoying the sex we're having. Like, of course, that's going to be a really hard conversation. Whereas if we're making it a habit to check, have little check-ins with each other, like along the way, it doesn't then kind of build up over years where it is this, there's maybe resentment and this fear and all these things built up. So, and as you said, being receptive is so important. Um, there's a lot to be said for how we approach the topic. So, you know, if I'm in the middle, often when I'm working with couples, I'm like, when do you usually talk about sex? Like, how does it come up? And almost always it's in an argument, right? So it gets, it gets flung in the heat of the moment. I'm like, okay, it's not ideal because that's how we get hurt. And that's how, you know, those emotional, really strong emotional responses can happen. But it kind of like learn from that. The fact that it is coming up during an argument when your defenses are coming down, that means you want to bring it up. You know, that means it's an important issue, but we have to take more care and love in how we bring it up, you know, and always start with, I always say, if you're going to your partner and you need to tell them something difficult or ask them something or make a request of them, always bring the why you know, okay, I want to have this conversation with you. I know we're a bit awkward about this topic, but it's because I love you. It's because I want to be with you for years to come. So that's, that's why I'm bringing it up. You know, I'm not bringing it up to criticize or shame or point fingers. Does that make sense? So you're, you're coming with the feeling of love and care and that can help. That can just really help. Do you know that person feel a bit safer? Yeah. And Mm. again, if all of us had better sexual literacy, I suppose it would help as well because I would understand if my partner came to me and said, I want to try this thing. It doesn't mean, has he been wanting to do this for years and I've just been denying him and and, and he's been having bad sex for years and that's my fault. That's not it. It's just that maybe that's something that they're into now. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And that's a good conversation to have because you want to be happy together. Exactly. And like you're so much better off with your partner coming to you rather than not like even though in the minute it could feel really uncomfortable and bring up those fears but what's the alternative they just say nothing there's only one way that's going to end like you know there's going to be a build-up of frustration or again could be loneliness could be resentment all these feelings and that that can cause the breakdown of relationships over time then so as hard as it is just thank your partner for having the courage to and, and the uh what's the word initiative to actually start the difficult conversation because they're worth having. And as important as it is to be able to talk about sex with your long-term partner, mm. it's obviously something that you also need to broach with new partners over and over yes. again. Yeah. And another really great point that you made mm. was this myth of experience mm-hmm. that we have in our heads where mm. we're worried like that we're not experienced enough for a new sexual partner, yeah. say if we have this idea that they are more experienced than us. But I just love the point that you made that 
every new partner is a blank slate. Yeah. So you actually, mm-hmm. you're you're starting afresh with everyone every time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, I hope that is some comfort to a lot of people because you could meet someone who's had sex with hundreds of people and they still mightn't understand consent properly or understand, I don't know, erogenous zones on the body or they could have any lack of information, but because they've had the physical act with a lot of people, then it's seen as, oh, they're experienced and they're skilled. Whereas, again, that's not what sex is about. And most people, when you ask people, what do you want from a sexual partner? Usually people say things like, you know, they want someone who is like open-minded, who is kind, who treats them kindly, which sounds so basic, but kindness should be at the heart of sex education. Um, Someone who can communicate, you know, so it's not about certain body parts being a certain size or having all this skill set. And I mean, I know I've been there. People like, oh, this has worked on everyone before you. And I'm like, has it? Like, I don't know, maybe it has. Or maybe people just aren't being honest because, again, it's not normal for us to be honest. We need to make it the norm to be like, okay, that's cool that you've enjoyed that in the past, but that's not for me. You know, I prefer to be touched here, there, and you know, whatever it is. And it's all um, so individual, informed by yes. your your own intricacies of your own body, your own yeah. individual experiences yeah. and your psychology behind all that. Like there's so many variable factors that I can't see something that worked on one person working on everyone no. else, to be totally honest. Again, yeah. And it's not like, this, oh, this one trick will like make her go crazy in bed. And, you know, you see this and you're just like, oh my God, yeah. unless it's talking, I don't hear about it. Because uh, again, you can't, you can't just like, it's not a one size fits all. And it's, it's quite frustrating. And again, it leads to people feeling broken or flawed that, oh, why isn't this working for me? Or... You know, so again, maybe it's going back to this idea of sex, like really redefining it for yourself. And, you know, you said there, like, you know, it's so individual and it can literally change even hour to hour. Like I could be here today being like, oh, I'm just feeling really sensitive today. I want to be touched really gently. And then another day I'm like, no, I'm I'm good. You can use firmer touch. So it can vary like hour to hour, actually, you know. So that's, there's a whole piece about connecting to our bodies and listening to what we need and that's something we're not taught about either so yeah (laughs) that's also true yeah um I mean there's lots of takeaways I hope that people Mm -hmm. can take from this conversation and they get and get even more from your masterclass on this topic but I suppose to sum it up and it's not that I would recommend this in sex Mm -hmm. but in conversations about Mm -hmm. sex it's a case of pushing through that initial discomfort you feel in order to get to the potential Mm -hmm. pleasure on the other side, mm-hmm. in the conversation. Not yes, <laughs> yes. Don't push through sex if it's not good. Yeah. No, but with conversations, yes. You know, we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We have to be okay with the fact that we're going to feel a bit awkward. We're adults. No one no one has ever died from embarrassment. You know, it just doesn't happen. And look, we're, we're embarrassed even in Ireland. I always say there's, there's three things that stand out to me. We're, we're really bad at talking about death. We're really bad about talking about money. And we're really bad at talking about sex. And that's not, again, about shaming us when I say we're bad at it. It's not like we suck. It's just there is a whole history there. But it doesn't serve anyone. Like, it doesn't. So if we could just get a bit more comfortable with the fact that it's going to feel awkward and clunky and weird at times, and that that is actually how you get better communicating. Mm. You know, the first few times you have sex and you're asking, are you okay with this? Or is it okay if I do that? It's going to feel weird. Like it's going to be like, should I ask that question? Am I phrasing it right? But then like through, I suppose, practice, that sounds very clinical, but you know, through experience, you learn what feels okay, what language feels okay to you, maybe what feels okay to your partner. 
So you, you again, push through that initial discomfort around the communication. You have to learn one way or another. If I'm being really blunt, you have to learn one way or another because, you know, at some point there probably will be some issue with sex in your relationship, whether minor or major. It's just life. It's just part of life. There's going to be an issue. So you need to, you need to have those skills in place. And one way you can learn about all things sex is by visiting gracealice.com. You can also follow Grace Alice O'Shea on Instagram and you can check out her masterclass on daraandco.com. 